0: When Europe regulates things in a, in a in a proper way, this can have a, a a global impact, can facilitate international cooperation and can help us to reduce emissions without risking the competitiveness of our industry.
1: Welcome to The Jolt. It's the 18th of January. I'm your host, Kira Taylor. Later in the show, we'll look at whether the European Union is making enough progress towards its all-important climate goals. Spoiler alert, it isn't. But first, let's take a look at the top climate and energy stories from around the world today. Lawmakers in the European Parliament voted overwhelmingly to approve a new law that aims to protect consumers from misleading environmental claims. The law bans the use of generic green phrases such as environmentally friendly, biodegradable and climate neutral when there is not sufficient evidence. The law also aims to crack down on prompts to replace goods earlier than needed and misleading claims about repairability. The rules need to be approved by EU countries, after which they will have two years to transpose them into their national law. Countries in Southeast Asia saw a 20% increase in wind and solar power capacity in 2023, according to a report from Global Energy Monitor. The countries now have 28 gigawatts of utility-scale capacity, which makes up 9% of their total electrical capacity. Collectively, Brunei, Jerusalem, Burma, Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, the Philippines, Singapore, Thailand and Vietnam have a renewable energy capacity target of 35% by 2025, something they are expected to surpass. Oil markets can look forward to a comfortable year despite disruptions to shipping in the Red Sea, International Energy Agency Chief Fatih Barol told the Reuters Global Markets Forum. The IEA expects a significant increase in oil output from the United States, Canada, Brazil and Guyana this year, and is expecting global demand growth to slow. Moderate oil prices would be good for economic growth given high inflation rates, the IEA chief said during the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. Also speaking at Davos, the United Nations Secretary-General, Antonio Guterres, said the phase-out of fossil fuels is essential and inevitable, but he hopes it doesn't come too late. Last year, the UN climate conference COP28 saw a historic agreement to transition away from fossil fuels. But a lot of work is left to do to achieve that. The world must act now to ensure there is a just and equitable transition to renewable energy, said Gutierrez. Meanwhile, Norwegian oil companies are planning to increase exploration in the Arctic, industry executives told Reuters. In the past, companies mostly searched for crude oil in the region, as gas requires expensive infrastructure to move to buyers. But since the drop in Russian supplies to Europe following the invasion of Ukraine, the game has changed. In 2022, Norway took over from Russia as the biggest gas supplier to Europe. Shell also wants to expand its portfolio. The company has given the financial green light to develop the victory gas field in the British North Sea. According to the energy giant, it expects to reduce up to 25,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day, or 150 million standard cubic feet of gas per day once it is online in the mid-2020s. The Albanese government in Australia has agreed to invest 70 million Australian dollars in developing a hydrogen hub in North Tasmania. The Bell Bay hub is expected to produce 45,000 tonnes of renewable hydrogen every year. This could fuel over 2,200 heavy vehicles per year, according to the government. Investment totalling at least 300 million Australian dollars is needed to develop the hub, which will be powered by Tasmania's 100% renewables-based grid. Work will start this year and is expected to be completed by early 2028. The US government is drafting plans to roll out solar projects on federal land. It comes as part of President Joe Biden's aim to decarbonize the country's electricity grid by 2035. The government has identified 22 million acres across 11 states in the west of the country that are best suited for development It reckons 7,000 acres of public lands are required for solar energy over the next two decades. Half of India's sub-districts have seen a surge in monsoon rainfall in the past decade, warns a new report from the New Delhi-based Council on Energy, Environment and Water. The research institution warns that climate change is impacting monsoon patterns across the country. This is leading to a rise in short, heavy rainfall, which often leads to flash floods. 55% of sub-districts have seen an increase in rainfall of more than 10%, and nearly a quarter saw an increase of 30%. Just over one in 10 sub-districts saw a decrease in rainfall, but this risks affecting crop sowing. That's it for today's news, now on to the story of the moment. A new report by the European Scientific Advisory Board on Climate Change has found that the European Union needs to do more across all sectors to reach its climate objectives from 2030 to 2050. The European Union has set a goal to reduce its net emissions by 55% by 2030 and wants to reach net zero emissions by 2050. That means that by mid-century, any emission in the EU will need to be countered by an equivalent removal. The EU has been working hard over the past few years to agree new laws to make the 2030 goal a reality. But while the Advisory Board acknowledges the potential of these laws, their new report warns that additional measures are needed to reach climate neutrality by mid century. I spoke to the Chair of the Advisory Board and Director of the Potsdam Institute of Climate Impact Research, Professor Ottmar Eidenhofer, about the Board's findings. that the EU is doing enough to reach its 2030 and 2050 climate goals
0: I think the the EU is doing relatively good in achieving the minus 55 percent by 2030 I think that's okay it's not not fully yet in range but it's 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 almost we are almost there with with a little gap. But then we see, basically, if we add up all the the national plans, so then it turns out that we are far away from the 2040 and the 2050 target. And this is a huge, a huge problem here. We got the impression that the member states, basically, uh, after 2030, in their plans, they are losing momentum.
1: While the report says that more action is needed across all of society, certain sectors need more work.
0: Yeah, I would say in the in the electricity sector, by and large, for 2030, it's it's okay. We need still in the electricity sector and in the in the energy sector a dramatic upscaling of of wind and and solar PV. So that's absolutely essential and crucial. We are lacking, in particular, in the building sector and the transport sector. But uh, I would like to highlight also that the emissions in the agriculture sector are stable since 2005. And uh, here we, we we have a huge problem. And the last aspect, which, which I would like to mention here, is the carbon sinks. We see in, in the report that the carbon sinks are declining. And if this trend will not be reverted so even the 2030 target could be out of reach
1: you mentioned as well that buildings and transport are key sectors to address what type of measures do you want to see in those areas
0: in the building sector we see basically we we lacking uh, around the the energy efficiency in the uh, in the transport sector there there is a a, a large lack in, in, in many dimensions. What we are saying is long-term and cross- sectoral policies and here we have identified the two main aspects here. Uh, the one is we need we need reasonable strategies of the pricing of emissions. And also rewarding carbon removal. These are two sides of of the same coin. So I think that's uh, that's 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 very fundamental. And what we also identified is that there is an upcoming uh, second ETS for the transport and the building sector at the European level. And we are concerned that this second ETS is not effective enough because it defines a price cap, and then the obligations will flow over into the so-called effort-sharing regulation, which is then the responsibility of the member states. And we feel this is probably not the best way to do it, and therefore we argue for strengthening the second ETS as an issue, which has a cross-cutting potential between the, the transport and the building sector.
1: The advisory board also argues that proposing clear plans and timelines for phasing out fossil fuel subsidies should be a top priority. EU environment ministers agreed to call on the world to phase these out as soon as possible at COP28. But Europe also has work to do to get rid of these.
0: I think the phase out of fossil fuel subsidies, it's very important. And here we have to take into account that in 2022, because of the Russian war in the Ukraine, we have in Europe even increased fossil fuel subsidies. You can argue, OK, this is a temporary phenomenon because of a crisis, but we don't see any kind of reasonable strategy at the member state level to phase out fossil fuels. Uh, look at Germany. So we have now a huge, uh, a huge debate and uh, a huge conflict around phasing out uh, the fossil fuel subsidies in the agricultural sector. I think this is indeed a top priority because uh, with with fossil fuel subsidies... You can introduce a carbon price, you can introduce emission trading scheme. So uh, this policy clearly contradicts all this effort. So fossil fuel subsidies have to be phased out, and this is almost a no-regret option.
1: With the majority of the EU's new green legislation agreed, it is now up to EU countries to implement it. But the clock is ticking, with only a few years left until 2030. The advisory board is calling on national governments to enhance and implement the plans which lay out how they will reach the 2030 climate goal known as national energy and climate plans. Not implementing the EU's green laws would have repercussions not just in Europe but beyond according
0: to Otmar. If there's no no more implementation, no more effective implementation. There are two things so then climate policy could become relatively expensive so we want to do this in a in a cost-effective way and then also what we acknowledge in the report that uh, an expensive climate policy has has uh, regressive effects on the low-income households because low-income households have then to pay a relatively higher price compared to the high-income households. That's very important for a just transition, which we have also identified as a cross-sectorial issue, and if you ask how bad it is so if if we do not gain additional momentum we then basically we will not achieve at all the 2040 target and this this is something when then we are far away from from carbon neutrality and if europe does not show that carbon neutrality can be achieved in a social just and in a cost effective way so probably uh, then the the other countries might not follow europe in at this part One aspect which I would like to highlight is that Europe has now announced a carbon border adjustment mechanism. And this seems to be, at first glance, only a a minor technical thing. But this has a global impact because it says when Europe uh, imports carbon-intensive goods, they they will be priced. This is the reason why some countries outside Europe are thinking about um, a carbon pricing scheme like Turkey, like India like many other countries. And I think this is also an example which shows when Europe regulates things in a, in a, in a proper way, this can have a, a, a global impact, can facilitate international cooperation and can help us to reduce emissions without risking the competitiveness of our industry.
1: Alongside implementing current legislation, the Advisory Board wants EU policymakers to conclude negotiations on pending legislation. This includes a law to address disparity in how different energy sources are taxed, which has made little progress since it was announced in 2021. And there's still more to do to get EU policies fully in line with the need to phase out fossil fuels. This includes further adjustments to the EU's main emissions cutting tool, the Emissions Trading Scheme, on top of those agreed last year. Otmar also wants to see more work on removing carbon from the atmosphere.
0: The report highlights, uh, let's say, the the two sides of climate policy. On the one hand, a rapid uh, reduction of emissions in in all the sectors, but also to make fit the whole European Green Deal for the net zero by 2050. But then we need net negative, which basically means we need net negative emissions in order to to, to compensate the emissions and you could say to clean up the mess which we have done in, in, in the past. And this is a kind of, you could say, implementing a a planetary waste management because uh, we then basically reduce or absorb emissions from the atmosphere in order to clean up what we have done in in the past. And this kind of planetary waste management is essential because otherwise we we cannot bend the temperature curve. We will overshoot the 1.5 for a few decades. In order to bend the curve back, we need net negative emissions. And a net negative emission strategy needs a regulatory and a framework and a governance structure. And this is something which Europe has to develop over the next few years. And this seems to me very decisive. And And I hope that Europe can take here uh, the next bold steps. Here, I think when the, uh, Europe develops such a strategy, this will also have an, an impact on, on countries outside the EU.
1: So a mixed picture for Europe as it strives to be the world's first climate-neutral continent by 2050. Let us know your views on the topic in the contribution section. This is, of course, only one tiny part of the energy transition, so feel free to tell us what areas you're interested in us looking into. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me on The Jolt. Both Sam and I will be back tomorrow with a special episode looking back over this week and ahead to the rest of 2024. If you can't wait to hear that, why not go and listen to the What Matters Outlook for 2024? The podcast team were joined by Sam to look ahead to what we're expecting this year. Thanks to everyone behind the scenes at Foresight for helping to make The Jolt possible and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of The Jolt.